Hey, Pastor Rob. <laughs> so, so good to be with you all. Um, wow, three years since this church was planted, and it's been an amazing journey. And Pastor Rob just wanted to share a few brief, uh, you know, testimonies about that. And then I'm going to invite my pastor, Tommy Schneider, to come and bring us the word today. So I'll let Rob start off, and then I'll, I'll wrap it up. Thanks, Daniel. So this is such a time of joyfulness and thanksgiving. I just wanted to give you a very quick little history of how we got here today because it gives glory to the Lord and thanks to, to Tommy and Daniel. So this church started as a, as a church called Life in the Hill, January of 2010. Our first worship service was myself, Ben Kaibu, who pastor with me, the worship team, and three or four people sitting on the stairs. That's all it was, small little group. Uh, for 10 years, we uh, pastored that church. It grew to maybe 60 adults and all the kids that come along with that. We didn't really know what God had in store for us just to be faithful, and so our, our, our guiding principle was we just wanted to get as close behind the Lord Jesus as we could get and be ready to move whenever he was ready to move. And then in the most unexpected of times, in the middle of COVID, he started to move. I got this text from Steve Heffernan, who had met Daniel uh, in July of 2020, that said, Rob, meet Daniel Hendrickson. He recently moved to PV from Santa Barbara to plant a Calvary church. He serves. Daniel, Daniel, meet Rob. He is the senior lay teaching pastor of, of Life in the Hill. You should meet each other. Rob also surfs. Well, since then, we've done a lot of ministry together and really not much surfing, unfortunately. <laughs> but um, so we met Daniel in July, and then um, some of us elders started having further meetings with him and Leah and began to hear his, his heart and his passion to reach the hill for Christ, to do something we had longed to be able to do as the small little church we were. And so um, uh, I invited Daniel to come meet with our elder council one night, and, and we were just blown away by his vision and his passion for the Lord and his zeal for evangelism and, and to see God do a, a huge movement of his spirit here. And uh, I remember Daniel left, and I shared with the elders that earlier in my ministry life, I had been blessed to spend three or four years with Francis Chan and some of his pastors at Cornerstone and caught their zeal for the Lord and just the way they thought. And Daniel walked out of the room, and I said, and I, I'm up here saying this because he wouldn't say it about himself, but I said, guys, I haven't met anybody that thinks like this since I met Francis Chan. And so we said, you know, we got to do something. And now he just wanted to rent a building in the afternoon from us. And so we, we talked, and we said, yeah, well, let's give it to him, and maybe let's let him have it in the morning. And then we kept talking, and, well, why don't we just do this with him? And then I was driving home one day from work, listening to Greg Laurie, and he had a sermon on uh, Moses parting, or God parting the Red Sea and Moses going through it. And Greg Laurie said, can you imagine how the history of the world, the history of Israel, the history of the Jews would have changed if Moses had just stood there thinking about it? Should I go through the, the, the Red Sea or not? And it just hit me like a ton of bricks. What are we thinking about? Let's just merge. Let's just join. Uh, let's go with him. And so... Yeah, the rest has been history. You've all been part of it since then. But I just want to thank the Lord and thank Tommy and Daniel for their faithfulness. And, uh, you know, I, I say this often when we share the story of how this church started, and it really happens uh, in, a, in a prayer meeting where um, I think you'll understand what I mean when I say this, but we were praying together, and there was just an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in that time and the way God was moving in our hearts to join and knit us together in love. Um, it was just, it was nothing short of a miracle. And so together on September 27th, 2020, we planted Calvary Chapel Palos Verdes and it has been incredible. So, so thankful. Yes. And, um, I'm just really thankful to Pastor Tommy for his influence in my life. And, you know, when Leah and I were, my beautiful wife, Leah, right there, couldn't do this without you, Leah, is that um, when we were um, praying, you know, we came down in January of 2020 to see about planting the church here, and the Lord called us, and we were ready to go. And then March came, and we're like, what are we going to do? And, uh, and just the um, encouragement from Pastor Tommy, he's got a wonderful gift of encouragement that just causes you to do um, big acts of faith. And I remember when we came down here, and we found this place to live, and it was this 
another miracle, another confirmation, and I called Pastor Tommy, and he just said, you know, faith is what got you down there in January, and God called you to this place. Faith is what got you in the car today to go down and to look at this place, and I think you should go for it, and faith is what's going to be uh, the, the thing that's going to drive you as you continue to plant this church the whole way through. So I'm thankful uh, for a man of faithfulness who has encouraged me to take bold steps of faith. And uh, so I'm surrounded by a lot of godly men in my life, Pastor Rob, uh, Pastor Steve, uh, Ben, Pastor Ben, and uh, Pastor Tommy. So I want to welcome him up as he's going to bring us the word today. So. at this moment, my wife is uh, <clears throat> just praying that I do something uh, other than cry. <laughs> and I just get very overwhelmed by the sweetness of God's spirit moving and the work that God has done in this place is, is just, it's beautiful. Um, you're beautiful. You're God's children. This bride is beautiful. So thankful for the faithfulness. Let's close now in prayer. <clears throat> I wonder if my wife is actually praying. Do you think she just stopped? It's like, she's at home, Lord, help him. No, and then something else happened. No, baby, pray for me. Um, it is, it's, it, it, it's just truly fantastic that we now are at a three-year moment. What a, what a mind-blowing journey. And for, for my wife, myself, my family, our church in Santa Barbara, the love that we've had for the Hendrickson family, and then how quickly we fell in love with the whole team that was here, uh, you know, rocking it with Rob and Ben and Ben Kai and the whole team. It just was really, really a beautiful, beautiful thing. Um, but what, what, we've, what we are overwhelmed with is just watching faith lived out and God's spirit and provision happening. And as the church has grown and continues to grow, and God is just blessing it in, in abundant ways. Um, I love the team that's here with uh, Daniel and Leah and, and Rob and Janet and Ben and Nicole and John and uh, uh, Sophia and Michael and then Ryan and Sam, who are they're back with the kids maybe, Micah. The, then the servant teams, and what was so crazy, I, I, after I came here the very, well, in the early days, I went home and I told our team, I'm like, hey, Daniel is doing it so much better than we are. Stop it. Come on, you know, and so I tried to raise them up. So you guys have set the bar, and, uh, and I believe that God's going to continue to do a, a mighty and beautiful work with you. I've got a scripture for us as we start, First Thessalonians, and I'm going to pray for us. Paul uh, said, we give thanks to God always for you all making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, your labor of love, and your patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God and Father. Clearly, without a shadow of a doubt, that is what's been present right here. What a work of faith, truly stepping out into the unknown, a labor of love. And what I love to hear from your pastor as he calls and gives updates is um, just an overflowing love that he has for you. It's just, it's, it's beautiful, it's beautiful. What a love you have for each other and for your community. Going to continue to do a great thing. And then that patience of hope. We are uh, standing, uh, longing, waiting for Christ's uh, return, which will happen soon, I think. Um, so Lord God, what a privilege it is to, to be in this room with this beautiful family to worship you. And it's our desire this morning that our hearts and minds would be set apart for you, that you would clear away any distractions in our lives, trials, or brokenness, and that, God, we could see your face, we could press in and see the things of the kingdom, that, Lord, you'd reveal the fullness of your sacrifice to us, that we might be those that walk in newness of life for your glory. So meet us right now as we look into your word in Jesus' precious name, amen. I love that when we started praying, uh, Jesus called, <laughs> and he always uses an old school ring. I don't know why it is. It's like he just, it's like a, he's got the rotary dial on that one. It's ring. Oh, it's Jesus on the main line right there. 
So over the last few weeks, you guys have been in Hebrews. Uh, what a powerful, uh, uh, amazing work this has been, uh, just looking back and watching uh, uh, and, being, and receiving from the messages that have come. You've looked into this idea of a better hope, uh, a better covenant, last week's a better worship, and today we're going to consider a better sacrifice. Uh, just the thoroughness of the presenting of the word, you've been glimpsing, or rather, you've been looking into the mystery of the fullness of the kingdom of heaven. We, we see that in the, old, in the, new, in the, uh, in the uh, first covenant and the beautiful work that God did as he set up systems and, and uh, showed himself in them and caused a people to be uh, faithfully looking to them to find the God of all creation. You have this overwhelming sense of awe when we start kind of having the veil pulled back to see the fullness of what these things represent. The idea last week as we were listening to um, this incredible encouragement that God is interested and will allow us to be cleansed and conscious from our dead works to serve a living God. I want to take just a moment and sort of set the stage of what I believe that God's going to do with us as we look at this next portion, uh, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 15 through till the end. And what we see is we're, we see this contrast of the Mosaic tabernacle worship and the new covenant and then the high priesthood of Jesus Christ who provides literally a superior, singular, superior sacrifice in a superior heavenly tabernacle. It brings complete forgiveness, this sacrifice of sin, eternal salvation, purified conscience, and direct access to God. What we see when we look into these portions of Scripture is as though we get to see eternal truths laid out for us that are past our understanding. Man has always has a tendency to kind of look at the things ahead of them, and even in religion, just sort of, these are the things I know and I've got a hold of, and we do that with the law, we do that with the covenant, this is how I live, and this is how I get righteous, this is how I do my worship, this is how I do my thing, and God said, no, I want you to see something more glorious, that from the beginning of this book all the way through it, we see Jesus, we see the fullness of what God has done for mankind, and he's longing that no generation would be lost from beholding his glory. He revealed himself in different times all the way through this with his sovereign plan to bring about salvation for all mankind. And I was thinking about how um, everywhere we look, we get to see glory. And this morning, I, I took off early, and uh, it was before sunrise, and driving up the coast from Santa Barbara, and uh, I chose to find a place to pull over and, and kind of see the sun come up, and it was just, it was just glorious, and this sky where we live, this coast is just fantastic, right? The ocean is alive, and all the things going on, and I get back in the car, and I'm worshiping, and the sun is starting to come up uh, over the horizon as I'm driving, and it's just literally starting to feel so glorious, and then, boom, right in the middle of my windshield, some bird, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know what this bird has been eating, but wow, 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 boom, and it just hit, like, right, I'm like, okay, all right, okay, and so I'm driving, and I'm thinking, wow, that's mind-blowing, it's about eight inches of, of right, right there in front of me, found myself sort of driving like this, and, and looking, and leaning a little bit more, and then all of a sudden, I realized, well, I have wipers, and I have living water, you know, and I hit those wipers and whipped it away, and I'm like, oh, there's the glory again. I can see it. In some ways, I, I feel like every time we open the Word of God, we get an opportunity to have some things washed away from what's been in, in front of us and the garbage we're having to deal with, and we get, a, we get to look in and behold this magnificent work of grace that God has done for us. This is His desire for us, that we would be living in light of that glorious revelation, that there'd be a sense of awe. I know that you had a, a baptism this past summer, and how many guys did you, did you dunk? Like a million? There's like a million. There's a million baptisms or something. It was unreal. Um, there's this incredible moment for a, a pastor or anyone who is baptizing when you're with someone who's making a bold confession for, of faith. I believe that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. I believe he died for me. He was resurrected and he's given me life everlasting. I put my trust and my faith in him. I want to walk with him forever. And you get to push that, the old man and watch the old man or old woman be put under and buried with Jesus. But then the coolest part of it 
is when they start coming up out of the water. And you just sort of see this change on the face under the water. It's like, mmm, I'm coming alive. And then the water peeling off of their face and that look towards heaven. And see, I think that's the posture that God has for us. He wants us to be his children just, okay, I'm a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. And so when we consider this book of Hebrews and written here to the Hebrew, challenging them to come from seeing things here, seeing the sacrifice here, the temple here, the, the, the covenant here, to understand the new work of the covenant the, uh, uh, through Jesus Christ of life everlasting, that their eyes at no one would be missed and that their faces would be aimed towards heaven, beholding his glory. So verse 14, I'm just going to pick up where Daniel left off last week, reading this final verse, and then we'll go into our text. But he says, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without, without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? This work of Christ washing away the dead works and the brokenness of the past and giving us a life, a free conscience and a, a clarity of heart and mind to serve him in a new way. See, when the church presses into that newness of life in Christ and we understand with broken hearts the, our neighbors around us who are suffering and perishing, well, that's when, that's when God just begins to do a mighty work of revelation to the lost. Psalm 139 David starts, the, I'm going I'm to tell you how his start of this psalm and the end of this psalm in verse 1 through 3. He says, O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know my sitting down and my rising up and you understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down. You're acquainted with all of my ways. See, when we have a glimpse of Jesus, we understand that he knows what's going on in our hearts and minds. He knows what's happening in your mind right now, the things that are distracting you, the burdens that you're carrying. He understands them all together. And so when we enter in to this better area of worship, to the one who set us free, right, he, he knows the thoughts and he cleans and washes our conscience and our mind. And he ends this psalm, not for starting it by saying, look, you understand, you see you're here. He ends it in verse 23 by saying, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there's any wicked way in me and then lead me in the path and the way everlasting. It's just this idea. God cleanses our conscience from dead works to serve a living God. So, so check me and wash my heart, cleanse me in my heart and then set before me the way everlasting. And today we get to do that, peeking in and looking in to this glorious work ahead. He offered himself without spot to God to cleanse us. He wants our energy from this moment forward to be empowered for serving him in the works that he has. So the word that's used there is interesting for serve. In the Greek, it bears with it the idea of the service of the priest. And it's a priestly service. I, I, I think that's a pretty powerful challenge for every man, woman, and child that loves Jesus as their Lord and Savior to know that there's an element of priestly service that God wants us to walk in. When we surrender to his righteousness and we begin to follow him and his righteousness, well, God's going to put people in front of us to love and to minister to, someone who's broken, someone who's lost, someone we get to usher in to the holy of holies, to the God of all creation, and, and to introduce them to a loving, a loving and mighty king. So now we get into chapter 15, I mean, uh, verse 15 of our text in Hebrew chapter 9. He says, for this reason, and that's why I started with verse 14, for this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. He's the mediator of the new covenant by means of death. He's bringing about an agreement between two, one who is, uh, has a wage of sin and, and, and the one who is uh, going to sacrifice for that sin. He brings an agreement between God and man and that Jesus himself is the one who will, will reconcile that brokenness among men. Look what Paul says in Romans chapter three. Um, excuse me, uh, yeah, chapter 3, verse 25. Whom God set forth 
as, and he's speaking of Jesus, as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, God has passed over the sins that were previously committed. Propitiation. Ah, this word is magnificent. It bears with it the idea of the removal of wrath by the giving of a gift. We have been set free from the wage of sin, the brokenness of sin, by this gift of Jesus Christ, who is the propitiation for us. He's the mediator for us between death and life everlasting. This gift was given for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant. See, the reality is the work that Jesus did was a sacrificial work to cover all generations, not just simply for those generations that made it to the time of Jesus or after Jesus, but every generation that was on this planet, Christ came to be a redemptive work, everyone who was under the first covenant. In fact, the, the sacrifice for sin made under the Mosaic covenant was like an IOU, and then it was paid in full at the cross. And so one generation after another is trying to worship God according to the ordinances, according to the covenant before them, according to the law, and on the sacrifices and all of these things, trying to do the things they can to be holy enough, righteous enough, and it was all a foreshadowing of the, of the payment that would be made in full through Jesus, the better sacrifice, the one who is the, the, the basically the payment for it, setting us free, a payment that we wouldn't have to pay ourselves. Years ago, um, when I was a, a children's pastor, youth pastor in uh, Santa Barbara, um, I got pulled over uh, driving. I was with my wife and, and uh, we were on a certain road and there was double yellow line in front and I, I, I was going the wrong direction and, and I, I instantly said, oh no, we need to go the other way. So I started to do a U-turn and as I was doing a U-turn, my wife was like, no, 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 you can't, you can't cross this yellow line. I go, I can do this. I just <laughs> turned around and shot the other way and as I took the other, boo, you know, and the cop pulls me over and she's looking at me going, <laughs> can do this. And I thought, well, it's fine. You can just, I mean, there was no one there. There was no one coming. It was fine. But cop gets out. He walks over to the door and he looks inside and he goes, oh, Pastor Tommy. <laughs> Man. Hey, I have a, there's a, a warrant for your arrest. I'm all, no, no, no. You're kidding me. He goes, no, actually there is. Apparently you didn't pay your registration. I go, no, no, no. It said they were going to send me a reminder for it. He goes, no, no, no. They just tell you to go do it, and then you got to go do it. Then it goes to warrant if you don't pay it at a certain time. And I'm like, you're kidding me. My wife is now looking at me like, oh, you're a bigger idiot than everyone in the world. No, she didn't. She, she was loving me. But I had to go. I had to humble myself in that and go, oh, my goodness. I not only blew it because I was expecting them to ask me. Anyways, oh, to be young and not know how to do those things. But I... I got called in to go to court. I had to go in and wait. Uh, they, if they didn't call your name, you had to wait for the second group because those are the ones that had, had warrants out for them. I was in that group, and there were seven of us. And as we're waiting for the judge to, uh, you know, have the verdict and, and tell what was doing, he said, I just, she said, excuse me, she said, I just want you to know that every one of you is going to have to pay at least $750 today. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, what have I, you know, what have I done? No, no, no. I'm thinking, oh, no. And I watched every person before me get up, and the judge would say, so tell me what you did. And they go, well, what, you know, it wasn't my fault. I was blah, 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 blah. And she went, and then she just went, $2,000, $25. And she just was like burning every single person. It gets down to me in the last one. I'm like, um, I'm just wrong, ma'am. I just... Uh, in fact, I was turning, and my wife was like, oh, no, you don't. And she knew it, and I knew it. And then she looked at me for one moment, and she goes, seems like you've suffered enough. You're the only one that's told the truth here today. You are guilty, 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 and you may leave free. Oh, and I'm like, boom, boom. No, that's my king. Nothing like being set free. Really, my debt has been paid. My... my I've been redeemed from this brokenness, paid in full. It truly was a work of God, and it was, it's been an interesting sermon analogy from time to time. And uh, by the way, try not to cross over the double yellow line and do a U-turn. We all learned a little something today, didn't we? Romans chapter 11, verse 25. Paul says, For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery. And here's what 
Paul is about to share with, with the church. The ignorance that somehow those in the first covenant have lived under that covenant and generation after generation are somehow missing this great work of grace that comes through Jesus. He says, lest you should, um, should be wise in your own opinion that blindness in the part has in, sorry, in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved as it is written. The deliverer will come out of Zion and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob for this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Sometimes there's a misconception of somehow, well, they have missed it and therefore they don't get it. And yet Jesus, his payment was in full for those who had faith and faithfulness even to the covenant. This isn't just about the church being the new Israel. This is about God's children being redeemed. And so he says the redemption of the transgression under the first covenant, all will be saved by this work that Jesus has done on the cross. And he says that those, so all of those who are under the first covenant, will be uh, redeemed in this. He says, for those who are called. Now, clearly, he is making mention of his chosen people and his faithful servants who have followed and longed to honor him and bless him. And yet, he is longing for you and I to understand that there is an active calling by God of each of us in our life. In Hebrews 3, it says, therefore, therefore, holy brethren, Partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. The writer of Hebrews is urging for those children of God to turn their heart towards the God of all creation, to understand that he loves us and longs for us. In fact, this, this, uh, this book is, is pulling back or, or, or pulling, washing off that which is in the way of the view of eternal things. And he's calling us forward in it. But Jesus would make this statement when, prior to going to the cross in John's gospel. He would say in John chapter 6, verse 44, that no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up at the last day. So, so those who are called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. Those from generations before faithfulness God's sacrifice will be sufficient, is, is, is the superior sacrifice, and everyone who is being drawn to him today will have everlasting life. Jesus will draw us to the, uh, the Father will draw us to Jesus, that we may have this promise of eternal life. So it's whoever whosoever believes, and you know that scripture from John 3.16, that whomsoever believes on him will not perish but have everlasting life. Um, it's, it's, it's anyone who will surrender in and put their faith believing in him. And the Father's been drawing you, then it's time to surrender in and allow him to have the, 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 the highest spot in your heart to believe him and trust in him and Put your faith in him for everyone who comes. And then Jesus would go on and, and so many times in his earthly ministry saying, and listen, I will by no means cast out. None will be snatched from my Father's hand. If you come unto me, I will keep you eternally. First Peter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to his abundant mercy, has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that doesn't fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. This sacrifice that Christ makes is for all generations and all who will come unto him, all who are called unto him. Has, have this hope of everlasting life. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 16. For where there is a testament, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is in force after men are dead, since it has no power at all while the testator, testor, testator lives. It's a rough one, right? Did you wonder if I was going to even do New King James? You probably, went, you probably switched over to NSV on that one or ESV on that one. Um, 
It's a will and testament. It really, it's the idea of the covenant that, this, that has been made. The, the way in which it is paid out is through death. It must be death. If, you have a, if there's a will in your life, if you've ever gone through that and had a loved one die and they had a will, a last will and testament, you notice that you didn't get any of the benefits of that inheritance until after they died. Death had to happen, and then there was a benefit that came from it if you were a participant in that, if you were a member of the family. And so it is that Jesus would have in him a future hope for all mankind that would believe in him, a beautiful will, his will that none should perish. So when we know him and love him, at his death, he gave the opportunity for us to be a participant of that beautiful inheritance. Because before that, what we had ahead of us without Jesus, without being believing in him and being part of his family, is that we had death. Romans 6.23 tells us that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. He is our inheritance. He's our hope. He's our future glory. Verse 18. Therefore, um, not even the first covenant was dedicated without blood. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of the calves and goats with water, scarlet wool, and hyssop, and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people. So last week, we've got this great picture of the tabernacle and the amazing uh, elements out, out front where the showbread was and where the incense was and the, the, the veil and the holy of holies. Now the priest would come in and the sacrifices that would take place in there knowing that we have a, a better worship in our God, that these were all a picture or literally a replica of what we ultimately have in our God. It was set up so that we had a system of worship and getting our focus in the right place and yet it wasn't complete until Christ Christ paid the price and we received the will of our inheritance in heaven. So he's identifying this. And as Moses would even read from the book, the law, it's interesting that blood was needed. Blood was needed over the book and over the people. Look a little farther in verse 20, saying that this blood of the covenant which God has commanded you, then likewise he sprinkled it with the, uh, the, the blood with both, sorry, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. And without shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. The blood of calves and goats with water, scarlet wool, and hyssop. And if you really want your mind to be blown, you begin to do a study on just sacrifices throughout the scriptures. And the details and the intimate, unique nuances of everything from the red heifer being a burnt offering and then the ashes themselves put into the water and the water itself would then wash others and hyssop being used and the scarlet thread running all the way through the scriptures and always the blood being sprinkled. You know, there's such beautiful imagery all the way through this. And remember what it's trying to do is expand our understanding of what Jesus would do. So when the one would bring their sacrifice, their beast for sacrifice, often the family would, and those who were near would come and put their hands upon that which was being sacrificed because they wanted to, to have it take upon itself their own sin and their own brokenness. And so they would lay themselves upon the sacrifice. Think about that, that God would ask us to do that even with him. That today, in some ways, we come and we put our hearts upon the sacrifice of Christ, his will for eternal life for all mankind. And so blood was used, water, scarlet, wool, and hyssop all through the scriptures. Theologians call this the scarlet thread that weaves through the Bible from the very beginning all the way through it. It's a unique study because it shows that there is need for atonement through every page of the Bible. Listen to Isaiah as he prophesies, come now, and let us reason together, says the Lord, though your sin, sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. See, without the shedding of the blood, there is no remission. And the Hebrews had learned this time and time again with sacrifice after sacrifice and the details of entering in and who could enter in and the high priest's opportunity to go and to make that, that beautiful atonement for, for the rest of them. And just this is an incredible picture of what Jesus would do for us. 
And so you, if you look back through Scripture, you see that there was sacrifice, atonement. There was a foreshadowing of Jesus, even there in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. And there they were, naked and unashamed. And of course, when sin came and death ruled and reigned through their decision in that, they found themselves covered up. And then ultimately, we see the first sacrifice as they killed and made garments for themselves. There's a sacrifice right there in the garden, foreshadowing of the blood of the covenant that would come to be covered by. Think about the ram that took the place of Isaac. And in those moments when Abraham was trusting and saying, ah, the Lord will provide himself a sacrifice. And then, oh, lo and behold, there's the ram for the sacrifice, the lamb of God, the Passover lamb. And God's instruction to put with hyssop the blood over the lentils and that, that ultimately this would be a covering that would protect you. So you see this incredible atoning sacrificial work with blood. In fact, the institution of the sacrificial system is it, itself is, is part of this thread that goes all the way through it. And then the scar, think about the scarlet rope placed out of the window for Rahab, and it would be the one thing that would cause her to be safe. They would identify and say, oh, look at the rope, the, the scarlet rep shows us where she is and she would be kept safe. All the years of sacrifice performed in the tabernacle and the temple. Even into the New Testament, when you begin to see statements like John the Baptist, when he would see Jesus and say, ah, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The atonement of the Passover Lamb is Jesus. He's the one, the blood that covers all. So from the beginning, this scarlet thread all the way through it. And then even just hyssop. Hyssop's a great study too. Just where hyssop is used, you're thinking about it even on the point of the cross and the hyssop that would be used to bring the sour wine to Jesus' lips. It's just, it's just that God was saying, look, I want you, you see dimly now, but you're gonna see. You're gonna see the glory of the atoning work of Jesus in that final moments when Jesus said it is finished on the cross in John 19. It is finished. God came to atone for us, to satisfy every, every element of the first covenant. In verse uh, 23, therefore it was necessary that the copies of the things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifice than these. So the copies are that they built the little, little table that would, that would hold the incense. They built the tables for the showbread. The showbread was put out. And every element from the candles to the, the, how they lit the tabernacle, the tabernacle was built. All of it was like a pattern. The veil showing that you couldn't come in where the bema seat was, the, 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 whole, the, the Ark of the Covenant, rather, and the, 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 uh, where only the high priest could go in once a year to make atonement, and the fear and the trembling that Daniel brought up last week of, of, of going into that place and getting their life right before entering before God. Imagine if you and I, every day, had that kind of sense of awe, like today I'm gonna live my life before the high priest of my soul, Jesus. I get to be behind the veil. The veil was torn from the top to the bottom and now all have access in. It's an amazing, amazing thing. But he says, these are copies here that we're seeing of that tabernacle, of that work. It's a copy of the most high place that is ahead, these heavenly, um, in the heavenly places of themselves. And a better sacrifice would be given for them. So the sacrifices here were the sprinkling and the hyssop and the whole deal. Jesus would provide the entrance to the, as it's here, um, as, he, as he says here, to the better sacrifice, whoops, where's my scripture? Um, in the heavens. <clears throat> but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these, excuse me, I got all lost in the scripture. <laughs> that ever happened to you when you're teaching? You're just like, I don't know where I am. Probably my wife stopped praying again, didn't she? Just like that moment. Could you get her on the phone and just like make sure she's praying? So, so, it's, it, so there's these copies. It, it's the idea in some ways, like if, if you have in your backyard, you have uh, set up a little tiki hut maybe and, and uh, you've got some bamboo furniture and you've put a little wicker, you know, uh, what do they call that? Just a rug out there. When they, it's a type of rug. It's like a fur, it's a grass rug. Do you know what it's called? Jeju. Yeah, that's a good one. Okay, either one. Anyways, you put one of those out there, you know, and so you've got a couple of palm trees that are going on, and you, you, know, you try to get a fan so there's the wind, and you're like, oh, man, I'm, just, I'm in Hawaii. 
no, no, you've got, uh, you know, a, a world market uh, rug and uh, a couple of bamboo chairs. You're not in Hawaii. It's a, no, no, when you're in Hawaii, you're like, oh, here it is. So it is with the tabernacle. It's a copy of the real deal, of the fullness of what God has. And so ritual and, and somehow sacrificing here and doing the law and living the law pales in comparison to the fullness of what Christ has come to set us free for. Verse 24 says, For Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but in heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. He's entered in. Uh, he himself has done this. He is the high priest. He's gone into the Holy of Holies before the God the Father, and he waits there for us. Look at verse 25. Not that he should suffer himself often as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood of another. He then would have to suffer, uh, he then had to suffer often since the foundation of the world, but now once at the end of the ages. He has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And so the author makes this great, God wants us to see this great truth, that Jesus himself is the high priest, but not like the earthly priest who'd have to go year after year in and make a blood sacrifice. If that were the case, Jesus would have had to suffer year after year laying down his own life. But once for all, the sacrifice was given in, for, the, for, for entrance into heaven, eternal, a hope beyond hope. He's appeared, this last verse says, he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Now, there's a great story, and I want to kind of finish in this, this last little portion here. In Acts, as the church had been established, there were men that were found of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit, who were commissioned to care for the, young, for, for the church, for the Hellenistic Jews had need and, and all of this. And so they were put into the commission of the work. And one of these young men's name was Stephen. And Stephen was really, he became the first martyr of the faith. Stephen stood in truth and proclaimed truth. He's speaking to a Jewish audience. And as he's sharing the truths of the high priest Jesus... There were the religious leaders who, of course, rise up against this. Jesus, Stephen's pointing out the copy of the heavenly truth in Christ. And he's saying, look, these things pale because this is, this is truly where you want to belong. You want to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And so I want to follow along with, with Stephen in his last moments as he's speaking these truths to those religious leaders and to those who are now going, wait, wait, what's going on? He said in verse 48 of chapter 7 in Acts, However, the Most High does not dwell in temples made with hands, as the prophet says, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. What house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Has my hand not made all these things? The tabernacle, all of the elements, all of the things. Does he dwell there? Does he dwell in these houses that you've made here? Does he dwell in the, in, in, in the house that, that the sacrifices took place? And no. He dwells in heaven. These are made by man's hands, and God's bigger than that. And so as he's saying this, you can imagine what happens. Now listen, he gets a little bit riled. Verse 51, he says, You stiff-necked, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Who? Stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. Stubborn, stubborn, stubborn. It's the idea of, it's, it's the very image of the Yorkshire Terrier my wife and I used to have that for 14 years peed in our home every single day. And even when she made the look like, I have to go to the bathroom, and I'd grab the leash and pull, she'd just slide her body in denial <sighs> across the wood floors. That's what basically Stephen says. You are just stuck in the old. And we love, listen, we love tangible law. We like to know that this is where I sit when I come to church, and this is how I'll do communion, this is what I'd like to do this, this is my prayer place, this is how I do that, don't we? We put things in place, and they, they feel safe because, oh, we somehow are going to get holiness if we do the things right. We get a little stubborn about that. That happened early on in my ministry. I remember I, 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 the, one, of the, one, one of these days I saw God do a mighty work, and a bunch of people got saved. The next Sunday I thought, well, i got to go back to that location and pray in that spot. 
If I, if, I, if I pray in that spot, I found myself at the same couch, I'm praying, I'm like, it worked last week, so maybe this week. I'm like, what have I done? Right, we go back to sometimes, and, and we get stuck in it. He says, you're being stiff-necked. Look at verse 52. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one. That's the high priest. That's Jesus, the Christ, of whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers who have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. When they heard these things, they were cut to their heart and they gnashed at him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, and they ran at him with one accord. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at his feet of the young man named Saul, who would be Paul. And they stoned Stephen. And as he was calling on God, saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit, he knelt down, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he said this, he fell asleep. What we see is the very truth of what Hebrews is doing. He's saying, do you see Jesus at the right hand of the Father? Do you see him as the ultimate sacrifice for sin once for all, the atoning work, the completion of it? He's taken all the copies and all the, 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 the diligence of the law and all of that, and he's fulfilled it in his final sacrifice that now all who would believe can have everlasting life and see him and have the hope of heaven before them. Just like it said in verse 26, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Verse 27 and 28. And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this judgment, so Christ has offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. Death. There's a Disney show called Pollyanna, if you've ever seen it. But when the pastor comes on the scene, the first thing that he does is he climbs up to this high pulpit and he stands there for a moment in this silly little Disney movie and he stands at the pulpit and he goes, Death comes unexpectedly. And that, it's like, oh, it's like, what'd you think of it? He's just right. But if you have Jesus Christ as your atoning sacrifice, you have everlasting life. Stephen in that moment saw and was being called heavenly. He didn't die the death of separation eternally. He was covered by the atoning work of the better sacrifice, Jesus, who fulfills all the copies here in the fullness of his sacrifice there to give us life everlasting. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11, this will be our last scripture as we read this. He says, in him, speaking of Jesus, also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. This idea of being a people who will eagerly await for him to appear. God longs for us, if we know this sacrifice, to be those that are pressing past the world's view, washing the windshield so we can see into heaven daily, being before the sacrifice so we live before the sacrifice so we can make a difference in, in this hill right here, in this community, in all of Palos Verdes that this would be the light, the beacon that would shine to all people because we are seeing just the mystery of the heavenly realm. And you see that the God's desire through his word is that he'd pull us up out of just the things of this earth, pull us into this new understanding with eyes wide open, alert to his coming. Here's what Spurgeon says. He says, it ought to be a daily disappointment when our Lord does not come. Instead of being, as I fear it is, a kind of foregone conclusion that he will not come just yet. 
God wants us with an urgent love to stand before the best sacrifice and have an, have an awe for the lost and awe to reach those who are lost. Now, we're going to take communion here together as a church. And there's communion up in front and in the back you'll find some um, gluten-free for the gluten-free needs in the back. Um, but what a beautiful day to be celebrating this sacrifice. Here, the blood. Here's the scarlet thread that runs all the way through. Even at that cup when Jesus would take the redemptive cup and say, ah, oh, this is my blood which would be shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. They would remember that Jesus would say, I am the bread of life. He would understand in these two elements the fullness of the sacrifice that would be given through the Christ, the Messiah, for our souls. He'd say, do this so that you have a grander view of heaven, that you'd be reminded in fullness of what I've done, that my blood washes you completely, cleanses your heart, your mind, your conscience, allows you to stand pure before our loving God. Now, do, you, do you want to lead them in this? Do you have them stand at this time or sit, they sit? Okay, well, worship will start happening. Let's make sure I do it as a family. You know what's so beautiful is you have your heritage of how you do it. And this is our time. What I'm going to do is I'm going to pray for us and we're going to worship. And as, you, as the Lord would lead you to come to one of these tables in the back and up in front, and you can take of the bread and the cup remembering this. And here's what I would challenge you. Is if you know that you've been stuck in this world with your religion, if you know that you've just kind of been going through the motions of Christianity and you're ready and longing to have a grander view of eternal hope, then God wants to bless you in this time to search your heart, lay those things at his feet, take of communion and enter into intimacy with the Messiah. Lord God, thank you for today and our time in the word. Thank you, God, that you, you peel back and allow us to see past our understanding the things of the kingdom. We pray, God, that as we take of communion, we hold the bread in our hand, that we'd be so alert to your life which came, your flesh which suffered for us, that you endured to the cross, that there was no sin in you. As we take of the cup, we'd be reminded of your sacrifice, your atoning blood to wash away our sin. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. And so today we receive that. We want to enter in and have a clearer view of you. So meet us as we worship you and bless us now as we take communion in Jesus' name. Amen.